The hope is that you can get through this uh, using a variety of methods, whatever those what works for you uh, or whatever you pick up from other people's experiences, and you can move on. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on Hope to Recharge podcast, the podcast that's designed to break the stigma around mental health and to create some hope and inspiration and give some practical tips to those that are struggling with mental health, whether it's from personal stories to break the stigma or some advice from professionals in the mental health community. Whether you are struggling with mental health on your own or you know a loved one that is struggling, we are here to support you and to create a community so you you know you are not alone. The road to recovery can be difficult and challenging. At Hope to Recharge, we believe that in mental health, together is always better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for joining me here today. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Are you looking for online therapy? Are you stuck at home like everyone else? High stress, high anxiety, worried about the future, trying to navigate everything, have a lot of worries, had a lot of emotional roller coaster rides up and down, just like me. BetterHelp.com is one phone call away, one Zoom call away, one text away. It's an online platform for therapy. It's so perfect for now, for coronavirus, for what people are going through now, we can reach out and get the perfect therapist that meets our needs. Don't wait. Check them out. See if you can find somebody. Don't struggle. They're so affordable. They are so affordable. You're sitting at home. Every therapist is working online now. Reach out and get help you need. If you are struggling, don't struggle in silence. I am so grateful that they are giving us 10% off the first month so you can get affordable access to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Start your wellness, get help, get support you need. Hello, and thank you for joining me here again on Hope to Recharge podcast. We're still on the topic of grief. I know it's many, many, many episodes that we're deep diving into grief, but from the feedback from our community and our listeners, we realized how much um, the world is thirsty for understanding grief and how different people grieve in different ways. And by hearing different stories, it gives permission for people to show up in their journey of grief differently. And they don't feel that there's a certain way of going through it. And it was very helpful to many. And I'm grateful for all my guests that were sh- willing to share their story, their, their hard story to share. Today, I have a very, very special guest very special guest. My dear uncle, Avram Jacobs from Boston. Hello, Avram. Hello. Uncle Avram. He doesn't like when I call him Uncle Avram, but I, my parents taught me that we have to say Uncle Avram. So keyboard of aim comes first. <laughs> Thank you for joining me here. I want to give a backstory about Uncle Avram. Uncle Avram is not an uncle by DNA. He's an uncle by choice because he is my husband well, Ari's I, I, brother. I, I mean, not brother. <laughs> <laughs> it was my choice because he is my husband Ari's uncle, so Ari's father's brother. And when I was dating Ari in Israel, back and forth, he was Ari was in America, I was in Israel, and Ari would come often to Israel. And Ari didn't introduce me to his family right away, and very smartly so, because it's a complex family to say the least on this podcast, right? Now, my audience knows a lot about Ari's family, and my family is a very loving, kind, amazing family, and he was afraid that I'll run away 
if I find out too soon about the family. But one thing he did know is that Uncle Avram and Aunt Laura are like parents to Ari, really like parents to Ari, because Ari's mother left when he was very young and his father has his own issues. Uncle Avram and Aunt Laura, as Ari says, Uncle Laura and Aunt Avram, when he was little, he used to call, he used to get mixed up, always took care of them, always looked out for them, was always caring about the two boys, Ari and his brother. Ari formed a very close relationship with Uncle Avram and Aunt Laura. At the time they were living in Israel, when I was dating Ari, Uncle Avram and Aunt Laura lived in Israel. And I'm going to let Uncle Avram tell that story, how they got to Israel and why they were living in Israel at the time. And when I was dating Ari, he's like, there is one member of the family that I want you to meet. <laughs> and he took me to Ra'anana to meet them. It was one of the most lovely experiences. Lots of giggling, lots of laughter, delicious pasta made by Uncle Avram and a salad and a beautiful home. And just a word that was that kept on coming up in the home was lovely, lovely, and a lot of giggling and <laughs> laughter. I'll tell I'll let Uncle Avram tell the story of what he told Ari afterwards. But Uncle Avram, I want you before you tell the story about how you met me first, I want you to give us a background on where you grew up, how you met Aunt Laura that we're going to speak about that passed away about eight and a half years ago. Right. Right. Um, that's what we're going to be discussing um, this episode, the loss and the grief of Aunt Laura passing, which was a shock to everyone. So we're going to introduce that um, in, a, in a few minutes. But I want Uncle Aram to give us a background on where he grew up, how he met Aunt Laura, their journey in life and what got them to Israel. And then we're going to and then what got you back to Boston. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Martina. I met Laura at the University of Pennsylvania. She was a sophomore in engineering, and I was in graduate school. Uh, she was the only woman in her engineering class, and uh, we got married um, right after she graduated. She was 19 years old, and she had two degrees, one in chemical engineering and one in bioengineering. And uh, she then spent the next four or five years getting her, her doctorate in engineering, and then uh, went to medical school after that, so she had an MD and a PhD, and um, at uh, some point decided that she was going to take her capacity and talents and work on a, a particular problem, a medical problem. While she was still seeing patients, we also started a company uh, to manufacture specialized equipment that she had invented. And uh, over the next uh, many years, uh, we built that company and uh, distributed this equipment around the, around the world now. Unfortunately, at age 55, she came out of cancer and then um, passed away three months later. So a very rapid uh, kind of uh, disease, a very rare cancer. Uh, unfortunately, they don't have much um, treatment for it because it's so rare. There, there's very little um, you know, trials and clinical trials going on. So that wasn't a good situation. But in any case, we lived in Philadelphia for 20-some-odd years, moved to Israel for six years, finished the equipment and the design of the equipment there, and then moved back to Boston because it's such a phenomenal medical city. So that's uh, basically what it was. And we had two children, Kayla, who's the youngest one, uh, our daughters, who moved back to Israel. She went to school at, uh, in, in Boston at MIT, 
met a, a classmate there. They got married. They live in Israel now and have two children. And Gilad, who joined our company after he finished college at the University of Pittsburgh and um, eventually took over the running of the company and uh, was its head until the company was sold about four months ago, which was uh, an amazing development. But in any case, Laura basically was the, the spark and the leader of the company, she put her talents to use, and there are thousands and thousands of people around the country now who use the equipment for things like diabetic wounds that don't heal, and uh, women after breast cancer that don't edema, um, things of that sort, all kinds of peripheral vascular diseases. She was full of laughter, she had a ferocious intellect, uh, but she also lit up the room. And, um, and she had demons and insecurities like anybody else. Uh, but uh, she was driven to succeed in terms of making something better for her patients. And um, ultimately, that's what happened. I think that answers your question. Wow, that is, how can we actually tell Laura's story in like less than three minutes? She's, she's such, she was such an incredible human being. And you can write a book on every chapter of her life from when she was a child to getting her her passion and her degrees and what motivated her to get her degrees. All she wanted to do was make people feel better. Exactly. That was and, her uh, goal. That was her goal. The business, interestingly, uh, suffered a lot because of that, because she would just give away equipment to people even if they couldn't pay for it. Uh, and at one point, we, uh, Gilad and I stepped in, or my son and I stepped in and said, nope, can't do that. Well, we're not allowed you to just give away equipment. You do have to get paid. So yeah. uh, she was not happy with that. But uh, in any case, yeah, she's a very yeah. special lady. And extremely brilliant, brilliant, yes. brilliant mind that saw things that if we were taught probably for 10 years, we wouldn't understand. But she just saw it. She just she just understood from very young. She knew that she needed to find a cure for circulation, right? She this was her passion. In this particular instance, um, she began seeing she was chairman of the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine. That was her area of rehab medicine. And she began seeing women after uh, mastectomies and lumpectomies who had had uh, swollen arms. It's called lymphedema. And she didn't know what to do for them. So uh, she looked around the world and came on an old technology that had languished. It had not been developed because you needed engineering and medicine in one head to do it. And she had both. And she realized that if it was done correctly, uh, it could be an extremely powerful treatment. Uh, in addition to the fact that it wasn't chemical, it was external pneumatic compression so that people can have to take more drugs and uh, have side effects and this and that. It's painless, no, no side effects, and the results are simply astonishing. And the bottom line is increasing circulation. Uh, so, for example, if a patient has a diabetic wound that isn't healing, the problem isn't the wound, the problem is the poor circulation in the legs that's causing the wound. So if you deal with the circulation, the wound goes away and it doesn't come back. So that was uh, the thinking. She was able to explain it biochemically as well. Just as an aside, she was very taken by the notion that there is a, the body produces a chemical called nitric oxide, not nitrous oxide, you know, laughing gas, nitric oxide. And that was the basis for what her equipment was doing, was just stimulating the body to make more of it so that the arteries opened up. And on her tombstone is the chemical formula for nitric oxide. We actually put it on there. Really? Yep. Wow. That's, uh, that's so, de like, describes who she is. That, that, that she sees she the, she, she, she saw the solution and she said, we have to work with the knowledge that we have to create a solution and nothing's going to stop me. We're just going to try, mm -hmm. try and try and try and try. 
How old was Laura when she um, graduated? I know that she she was giving she finished, birth with she, when she, she was finished, getting PhDs, right? She finished college when she was 19. She got her PhD when she was 24 and uh, her MD when she was 28. Wow. And, and this uh, was, I, I, she I, was I, on I, bed rest I, for babies and, and yeah, her she, feet were up, yeah, she was upside down, yeah. right? <laughs> Actually, she, uh, in the middle of her fourth year, she was having our second child our daughter and uh, she was a premature lady she was in the hospital for a number of uh, i think a month and a half or two months so the the medical school gave her credit for a high risk obstetrics rotation and she had to write a a, uh, a paper or something so she wrote a play on the medication that they gave her to stop the contractions uh, it's called tributylene so she wrote a play called trial by tributylene <laughs> And uh, she got credit for it and graduated on time. (laughs) Very creative woman. And I want to say something about one of the special things about Laura. You never felt intimidated by her mind. You know, sometimes you find these geniuses that are walking the planet and they're so bright, they can't relate to humans. Do you know what I'm talking about, Uncle Avram? Absolutely. She was somebody that walked in the room and you didn't know, you didn't know what was going on in her mind because she met you where you were at. <laughs> and and she's like, okay, this is what you want to sing? We'll sing. You want to do art? We'll do art. And she loved good food and she loved meat and we loved celebrating good food with her because she right. knew fine wine and a good steak. She knew how to live life. She loved to travel. She loved to learn. She loved to laugh. It was just something so like everything in one person. And every time she would walk into our house and they walked into our house many times because we lived near, we lived near JFK when this uh, company, Norma Tech, um, the company that they developed with the boot, the boot company that now was sold to, I don't remember the name, something ice, I want to say. Hyper ice. Hyper ice. Yeah. So they would travel a tremendous amount. And I am so blessed that I lived near JFK and that the last years of her life, we got to see her a lot because we lived near JFK. We were like on the way. So we got to spend a lot of time with Laura and to learn from her, her incredible wisdom of life. And I want to share something that I shared with Uncle Avram a few weeks ago about Aunt Laura. And it was in the beginning of my um, journey with mental illness, and I was really depressed. And we were, we happened to have been both in Israel at the time. I don't remember why we were both in Israel, but we were both in Israel. It was after that Uncle Avram and Aunt Laura moved back to America, way after, and they were, I don't, maybe not, maybe not. I don't remember. But anyway, we met at the King David hotel. Was it when Kayla got married? Is that why you were there? Yeah. Yes. Around that time. right? So we met at the King David hotel and it was one of my very darkest summers that I can remember. And I was just on medication and I was, I was talking to Aunt Laura. She, first of all, makes everything feel good, just perspective. And I'm like, but Aunt Laura, what if I'll be on medication for the rest of your, of my life? She said, you know what? Why don't you say thank you God for having medication that you can stabilize for the rest of your life? It's wonderful. I remember she says, well, butrin is wonderful. You will be able to live with medication. And she gave me a perspective of instead of fearing the unknown, enjoy the known that you have now. And it works for hundreds of thousands of people and work with it. And if this medication doesn't work, we're grateful that there are many others out there that we can try. But she Mm -hmm. gave me the perspective of don't fear the new medications and like go with it and see it as a blessing. And And I remember leaving the King David then and and feeling blessed 
and grateful that I had medication that can stabilize my broken mind at the time. Well, one of the things, and I used to hear this a lot from her, is that we do have these medications, and not just for mental health purposes, but for anything. And uh, mental health is a disease like any other disease. And just like you take antibiotics for an infection, so you can take a medication for a mental health issue. And she always fought the notion that they're separate uh, entities and not linked. The fact is that uh, it's a it's a problem like any other problem, mm-hmm. and it can be treated in a variety of ways. Like a lot of things can be treated in a variety of ways, and medication, thankfully, these days we have lots of it. And uh, she was very encouraging, and in fact, she herself took. Uh, psychoactive medication. Uh, in fact, um, we kept the bottle of it. She was taking uh, Paxil, and we kept the bottle of it after she died. During one of our first visits to the cemetery after she passed away, we uh, poured the extra pills onto her uh, grave. Did you really? Made, oh, yeah. It made <laughs> such a big difference in her life. So uh, it was appropriate to do that. Wow. Yeah. And one of the things that both of you taught us when we were dating, Ari and I, you said, get into therapy before you get married. Don't, mm-hmm. sh- don't feel embarrassed, feel proud and go into therapy. And we did. And well, we actually did. But let's be clear, by therapy, we meant, and it's because we had that experience, it wasn't therapy in the sense of, you know, traumas you know, and stuff like therapy. that. Right, right, this right. Was, well, this was an opportunity to learn exactly. what some of the issues are, and how to learn uh, to be married and how to fight and how to uh, frame the situation so that you can arrive at a a win-win rather than a win-lose. Yes. And to understand that compromising in for the greater good of the marriage is not a lose. Not a lose. It's 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 a nod to the marriage. So it, it made a big difference. And we we always talk about that to our kids as well that we had gone through that experience. And in fact, uh, at some point when our during the festivities, my my daughter got married. She brought over a guest at one of the parties and introduced this lady and said, "That's." the person that we're going to for ah. a purpose. And it was very helpful. We went while we were dating, actually, because we, I, it's funny, my friend just posted today um, something to the effect of just because you you have dis- disagreements or arguing in your relationship doesn't mean it's a broken one. And I said it's even more so. When you disagree and you come to a, a conclusion and, a, and an understanding of a mind, it gives you a deeper understanding of each other and it takes you further into the relationship. And that's how I see it with Ari and I. We argue a lot. From the day we met, we argue. We don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. As we know, we fight well. We fight well. And sometimes it's like we we, we love the good conversation because it gives us a better understanding of what the other person is all about. If there's no friction, you won't be able to get into some deeper stuff that you never really knew about the other person. Let me tell your listeners, by the way, that evening when you came to visit us in in Renana, uh, as you were walking out, we pulled Ari aside and pardon my French, but we pulled Ari aside and said, schmuck, don't lose her. (laughs) uh, (laughs) and Ari always says they told me to marry you and they're good people so there was something right about it (laughs) we always laugh about that we always laugh about it but I think he needed that confidence because I was a very strong-minded person I'm still strong-minded he was a little bit afraid of that you know it's not something that the Jacobs family is so familiar with maybe or or they're learning slowly let's let's just leave it at that (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah. So your encouragement for him that it's gonna be okay. She's a good girl. Don't lose her. Was was very good advice. And I thank you. We we often bring that up in our marriage. So thank you. Um. So now that we gave a little bit of a background, how how powerful and incredible Aunt Laura was, and what what gift she was to the world. Really, her whole passion was to serve, to give, to heal, to make people feel better. And what happens? Her whole life is about this. Like really. Her whole life was about this. Nothing stopped her. Nothing stopped her. Not not being in bed on um, on bed rest with a baby inside her. Nothing stopped her. A bunch of crashes along the business line and almost losing things right along the line. Right. Mm-hmm. Nothing stopped her from getting up and trying again because she had this vision. And what happens when? So told the audience that it took three months. Very short lived cancer very short lived mm-hmm. to fight three right. months and and no one knew about it and as you told me before that it was her wish that no one should know about it because she knew that she had a short amount of time to live and she had a lot to do and she didn't want any distractions correct so yeah she uh, she wasn't feeling very well for whatever reason we know now why but she thought maybe she had some walking pneumonia or something like that and uh, so she went to uh, got into bed for a couple of days and there were some fda applications that were necessary so um, that was a great opportunity she could sit there and her work uninterrupted and uh, after a few days I, I just looked at her and said, come on this is silly you're not feeling so well let's, let's go to your, your friend who's, who's your doctor and we did and the doctor couldn't find anything and as we were walking out the doctor said you know what just for the hell of it let's take a chest x-ray. So it's a chest x-ray and we're driving home to me and the, the phone rings in the car and the doctor is saying, you have an appointment tomorrow morning at Dana-Farber, which is the great cancer center here in Boston. Mm-hmm. Didn't quite know what to do with that. And the doctor said, they need to look at the x-rays, this and that. So the next day we went, we went to the radiology department, huge dark room filled with uh, scan scanning machines and screens and things like that. And the radiologists basically sit there all day and they look at the, at the uh, scans. So we walked in and the chairman of the department of radiology had been kind enough to make herself available. We walked down. She put Laura's scans up and Laura took one look and literally collapsed. Wow. Because she knew exactly what she was looking at, which was her death sentence. Uh, as a physician, she knew exactly what the story was. That was that. She we immediately got involved with uh, the oncologist there at the Dana Farber. It happens just coincidentally that there were three or four sarcoma centers. What was the name of her cancer sarcoma? And there were three or four such centers in the country, and one of them is at Dana Farber. So we had some really top-notch people, uh, and I understand now only with the twenty twenty hindsight that. Um, she understood right from the beginning that this was a hopeless situation, but she was uh, going to go through the motions simply to say to us that she had done whatever she could, but she knew that there was really nothing to be done. Even worse were the side effects of the medication, which uh, knocked the hell out of her. The ferocious brain of hers uh, basically operated an hour or two a day uh, once the medication was in. Most of the time, it was just, I, I won't be detailed about it, but the side effects of the medication were just horrendous and made it close to impossible for her to operate on any, almost any level. She was in bed the whole time and suffering tremendously. You no, know, that was that. And uh, But she made it very clear she didn't want anybody to know because she had things that she wanted to take care of. That's the way it worked out. Uh, that was, we respected her wishes. It was one, at one point in the treatment, we had become friends with one of the nurses 
uh, Dana Farber. And I pulled her aside and I said, listen, I got to know, uh, how much time are we talking about here? And she said, well, the doctor said, you know, three to four months. So and that was like a month into it. So there really wasn't a whole lot of time left. But we understood, she understood, we didn't. We kept thinking, oh, we're going to fight this and, you know, this, that, right. and other thing. But there wasn't really, in retrospect, it probably made no sense to take the medication because all it did was make life miserable. Um, but that was her choice. She right. understood exactly what was happening. So, yeah. So as a doctor that knew so much about medicine and devoted her whole life to changing systems in order for people to live a better life, mm -hmm. you, you get a death sentence What and, and you're a doctor and you're like, how could this be? We have to change things. Like, how did she go from being a doctor to acceptance when a doctor is supposed to fix things? What was that reaction? She basically... And, you know, I understand it now with uh, looking back. She basically said to herself, there's not much to be done. So I am going to work hard strengthening the relationship between uh, her children, me, her, um, so that when she was gone, the kids would be a unit that I would be involved with them and it wouldn't just flounder. And also because we were running a business and our son took over the running of the business, all the loose ends associated with the business would be addressed and taken care of to the best as, uh, to, to, to every extent possible, which is why she did not want to be distracted from that by people calling her or, or whatever. As she was one of the most realistic persons uh, you would ever meet. So she understood, particularly as you say, as a physician, she understood that this was not a long-term situation and she resolved to take care of business as it were, a family business as well as uh, in the actual business. There were no regrets. There was no wailing at the, at the dark or anything like that. This is the way it is. And I'm going to do whatever I can to do this as well as possible and, and leave behind a good situation. And we'll talk about it later, but one of the, uh, actually, you had asked me yesterday, you know, one of the pieces of advice that I might give to your listenership came about as a result of uh, this very short three-month period. We'll talk about that later. I, I think that's one of your questions anyway. But uh, as a result of that, I, I came to understand certain things. Uh, you got to take care of business. Mm. And it's deeply important for all kinds of reasons. We can talk about that later. So you said that she was the practical one and you had the hope because you didn't know as a physician how know. bad it Right. You didn't have. So she was preparing for her death in a way she was preparing for for she needed every moment that she was able to focus and to right. be alive to do her mission, which she felt she has a, a, a literally a stopwatch. The next morning after the diagnosis, she says to me, get a piece of uh, you know, get a, a legal pad and I want you to write down all the things that need to happen and you need to do. Uh, getting a lawyer, taking care of this, doing that, etc., etc. We wrote out the list. I wrote out the list for her. She changed various things and then she said, this is the order in which I want them done and that they need to be done. And at the end of each day, we have to sit down and talk about what's been uh, accomplished. She used to joke that she, she was in her head, she was playing eight chess games at the same time, except that they were all being played against each other. Wow. Her brain was able to take that complexity and deal with it uh, very, very successfully. 
Wow. And that's what she did. She gave you that notepad and said, start taking notes because I'm going to give you orders of what's going to happen in the last months of my life and after I pass away. So part of well, you needed to go into acceptance. Were you no. doing it as acceptance? Were you doing just as, no. as, as, um, uh, like just honoring her wish? No. Well, I mean, obviously I was doing it because you know, she felt these things were important, but, um, I was still under the impression that, Hey, this is cancer. They got, drugs for it. People last a few years, sometimes even longer. So um, this is going to be similar. Mm -hmm. uh, little did I know. Uh, and, you know she, and one of the things she said to me was, do not get on the internet and look around, you know, read uh, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, because half of it is nonsense. And the other half is not necessarily applicable to her. We have oncologists and doctors who know what's going on and all of that. I would add, by the way, just as an aside, that uh, I, I ignored her and went on the internet. Late <laughs> at night, I was watching. One night, I was on a VA website, and I see a picture of the chief of uh, cancer research at the VA. Turns out she was an old girlfriend of mine. And you called her? And I called her. <laughs> and said, don't tell Laura, but... Exactly. And, you know, she gave me a couple of uh, things that obviously, you know, was not something that, that uh, would be useful. But several years later, my daughter and I took a trip to the South. And uh, this woman had her office, I think it was in Charleston or Richmond or someplace like that. And we were on the highway and I saw the sign for Richmond or whatever. And I said, let's just do it. And Kayla and I drove to the hospital, the VA hospital there. And I looked uh, this lady up and I walked in and I said to the secretary, you know, blast in the past. And I hadn't seen this woman in 40 years. Wow. And what did and she, she give you? Up. Comfort know, or it, reality? No, no, it was, no, by that time, you know, Laura had long passed away. This was several Oh, she passed later. away <laughs> yeah, already. Right, oh, right. oh, oh, oh. Okay. But I, I wanted to just thank her. Wow. That's so and, beautiful. Uh, so I, so 40 years later, I met an old girlfriend. <laughs> wow. 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 That, that's, yeah. Wow. And of all things, uh, the cancer, the head of cancer research at, at the VA at the time. So. <laughs> wow. It's crazy <laughs> how things work out, right? Crazy yeah. things work out. So I want to tell you where I was when, when Ari broke the news. And then we're going to go into the topic of, of um, mm -hmm. mourning a, a very dear friend, a loved one, your best friend, your partner in life, your, your partner in your business, everything. She was your everything. Because your yeah. family, your 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 DNA family wasn't much of anything to you, and you chose each other to live life together and build the broken lives you came from in order to become something bigger. And you really built such an, a phenomenal relationship, a phenomenal family, and a incredible business. So it was one of my. It was eight and a half years ago. So it was my one when I was really battling depression. Uh, I want to say it was between one and 12 o'clock. I mean, no, maybe 11 and 12 o'clock in the morning. It was in the morning, right? It was yeah. like 11 or 12 o'clock. I was still in bed because with my antidepressants, I used to sleep in late and I used to take care of the kids. He walked into the room and he said, Aunt Laura died. I'm like, what? And I remember it was the first time me feeling a heartbeat because I mean, an emotion because with depression, it's very hard to feel an emotion. You're numb. I remember that, that act of adrenaline, I jumped out of bed and I said, what? 
And he said, yeah. I said, and I'm like, wait, what? I, and I, I'm like, what are you saying? And I, I was in denial. I was in denial. And he's like, yeah, Uncle Avram just texted me or Gilad called from the airport or something like mm-hmm. that. We're going yeah. to Israel to bury, to bury at line. It's like, and I'm like, wait, I, and my, I remember not able to process it. I was in shock. I was just in shock. And I'm wondering, like, if I wasn't so much shock and I was on antidepressants and I was weak, how do family members actually process a goodbye? Like the reality. Yes, she's telling you for three months it's 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 and you had to like give her permission to set to go, like to just say goodbye. How do you do um, that? How do you do that? That's a, I, I'm not sure there's a uh, a pat answer or one that applies to everybody. Um, there's no manual here. Uh, each person is different. You know, in the old days, it's uh, before your time, Matana, uh, but in the old days, the word cancer was simply not spoken. Right. Someone had cancer. Uh, oh, he had a growth. <laughs> that was the mm. term he used. Nobody, I mean, you, you literally, it was, it was almost like a curse word. You, right. you wouldn't you wouldn't say the word, he has cancer. Right. In fact, in Brooklyn, if you had cancer in Brooklyn, the way you went was uh, a building on the, on the uh, grounds of the Kings County Hospital. It's still there, and you can actually see it chiseled into the stone. It's called the Home for the Incurables. That's literally, oh. <laughs> that's literally oh. the name of the, of the institution. Oh. Um, and I remember my, I once asked my father whatever happened to Mr. So-and-so, who was a member of our community. He sort of gestured in a, like, it was a one-way ticket. He went to the incurables. That was, oh, it was called, God. yeah, he went to the incurables, which oh, meant no. that was the end of that. So there's no saying goodbye comes in a variety of ways. Some people, you know, it depends, for example, uh, uh, I mean, the, the, inf- the possibilities are infinite. So as one example, if somebody, well, uh, one of the women I dated number of years later, um, when we met, I asked her how, uh, how long ago her husband had passed away. And she said, two months ago. And I, that sort of stopped me a little short. And she said, well, he had been sick for 20 years. Mm. And his death was just a technicality at that point. Mm. You know, we had already gone through all of that. Right. So there's no pat answer. There is no formula that's applicable. Um, and um, you know, among the questions that uh, you had sent me in writing, the one thing that perhaps your listenership, at least from my point of view, uh, because there is no pat answer and there is no right answer, they are just answers, I think people should feel very comfortable dealing with the situation the way they see best, as opposed to thinking, oh, you know, it won't look good or... Um, my my mother says this, or my 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 aunt says that, or anything like that. That's uh, a false kind of situation. Each situation is different. Uh, there are some people, you know, if the if the patient is very elderly and maybe uh, has dementia or something, it's going to be very different than a fifty five year old physician who has lots and lots to live with. So. I don't know that there's a specific way to say goodbye. I don't know that there's a specific way to handle the situation. A lot of it obviously is going to depend on the patient himself or herself, what they want, how they want it approached. Uh, there isn't the how, um, and you have to take your cues from a variety of different ways. Um, and you may not be right in the decisions that you make uh, along the way, and you may at some point 
you know, come to regret them, but you did the best you could with the information you had at the time you had it. And that's as reasonable and honorable a an approach as any other. That's that's about all I can say. Did you have a chance to did you know that it was her last minutes and did you have a chance to be there with her? Oh, to yeah. give no, to she, give her that she, permission to let go, stop fighting. It's okay. Living with mental illness can be full of pain, frustration, and anguish. At times, it can feel like you are completely alone. Well-meaning loved ones may not understand what you are going through and might not be able to offer the support you need. Finding the right source of support is crucial to your journey of healing. While we always encourage you to seek appropriate medical and psychological help, adding someone to your team who has been where you are can provide a much-needed shoulder to lean on. Matana knows what it is like to feel debilitating anxiety, and through her own journey of more than a decade living with mental illness, she has spoken with hundreds of others navigating their own anxiety and depression. Matana is not a therapist or a doctor, but has been able to partner with many individuals like yourself, creating a strategy toward mental, physical, and emotional well-being. One-on-ones with Matana are self-paced conversations allowing you to move forward at a comfortable pace. She'll work with you as you discover your own path and the steps that are right for you. To schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Matana, head over to hopetorecharge.com forward slash free. That's hopetorecharge.com forward slash F-R-E-E. Or you can click the link in today's show notes. And now let's get right back to Matana and today's conversation. Well, no. Um, although I do know, um, I know, I know someone right now whose father passed away and uh, very soon, an elderly man. And she basically said to him, you know, on his deathbed, it's okay. Don't worry. I'll take care of mom. You don't have to worry anymore. You know, you can, you can feel uh, comfortable about that. I'm, I'm not sure. Again, there's no pat answer. There's no but what did you of, do? In my situation, um, last uh, day or two, she was all drugged up um, and her, her lungs weren't working. So, uh, you know, breathing was a, a real difficulty. Um, and she basically was not queuing into what was going on. And she, she was, had been in the hospital and then she came home last night that she was, she was alive, but she was completely out. So um, there was no discussion of any sort. Right. But you knew it was, it can't oh, last yeah, no, at that At that point, it was, you know, we yeah. understood it was only hours or something like that. Right. Sure. So, so what happens is after a loved one passes away, I don't know if it's like a dev- double-edged sword because you have to go into action of, 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 of uh, the funeral, like technicalities. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of technicalities that have to happen Correct. and you have very, and you have to be very focused and you have very little time to actually accept Correct. the fact that they're gone. So you go through the technicalities and by us, there's the seven days, by the Jews, there's the seven days of mourning and, and it's a whole... Yeah, the ritual... Uh, that religion or custom tradition can uh, give you uh, can be very helpful, uh, but eventually it ends. Right. And, and you're left with the feelings. Just you. Right. Um, the, techni- the technical stuff, by the way, in our case, I mean, all of a sudden, we, she and I had to make a decision about where she would be buried. Uh, we agreed that uh, uh, there was a cemetery in Israel that we were familiar with. Turns out my mother is buried there and many of her family members are buried there. And we had been there for a number of funerals and stuff. So she said there, but, you know, you got to 
So you, you contact the cemetery and then the cemetery says, oh yeah, sure, we have some spaces there. We'll send you a map and you'll decide. And Laura looked at the map and she said, you know, my, my mother-in-law is buried there. She says, you know, I love my mother-in-law, but not so much that I want to spend eternity with her. <laughs> so the, the, there was, there were some plots available on the far side of the cemetery. And she looked at it, at the map and she said, aha, not even a clear line of sight. Perfect. <laughs> and, and that's, that's what she did. But, the funeral director or the cemetery says, well, you know, uh, okay, send us the money um, and, you know, we'll, we'll send you the, the deeds to the cemetery in, in, a, in a month or two. And I said, I don't think you understand. We don't have a month or two. How about a day or two? Wow. You know, that kind of thing. Wow. So, um, and then right after somebody dies, uh, you have enormous issues of one sort. You've got to get 15 copies, uh, certified copies of the death certificate and uh, life insurance and uh, cut off the credit cards I and mean, endless things that you have to do. And your brain uh, has to go into motion and you're not allowed to feel right. pain because if you if you let the pain come up, you won't be but able you, to you function. Right. right. You're just numb. Like right. your brain but won't on freeze. The, on the other hand, the flip side of that is that and this is something that I, I think your listeners, uh, and certainly those who have lost uh, relatives, understand very well, that distraction is the name of the game. Mm -hmm. That uh, it's the easiest thing is to just uh, do nothing and, and wallow in the grief, uh, as opposed to saying, okay, I got to take care of business here. I have to get the wills uh, probated. I have to get the lawyer to do this. I have, you know, all of those, those things. Um, and I, I found that distraction is uh, absolutely critical uh, in getting through a, uh, a difficult time like this. Because uh, if you don't, then you're, you're stuck with what you're going through and you're stuck. Right. As opposed to saying, you know, I, one of the things I did, for example, is I got a trainer in a gym and I made my appointments with him at six o'clock in the morning. Wow. Was, you, I had to be there's at, no to be chance at, that you oversleep. And your you know, commitment you, is a commitment. Right. <laughs> right. I'm paying the guy, yeah. you know, a hundred bucks an hour. I better right. get the hell out of bed. Right. But it got me out of bed right. as opposed to, oh, it's nine o'clock and I'm still, you know, in bed. So, uh, and if you know Uncle Avram, he's up at like 4.35 running every morning, <laughs> pre, pre Laura, and now back to himself. Yeah. Um, this is, this is what Uncle Avram does. He runs very early in the morning. So sleeping till nine o'clock is like sleeping through the day for Uncle Avram. But for anyone going through this, it's a, uh, um, I, I would recommend that you pencil in distraction in your calendar. You go to a lecture, you go to the museum, you, whatever you do, just do it. Get out of the house and do it so that you're, you have less time to have the grief crush you. And uh, there were a number of other things that, that became apparent as well. And I, I mentioned to you last night, shortly after we were taught, I went to a psychiatrist here in, in Boston and she said to me, well, there's only really one thing you need to understand and to know, and that is, unless you're thinking that you should slit your wrists or jump out of the window, anything you do, say, think, act, feel, is okay. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly okay. You know, if you're thinking about cutting your wrist, we should talk. Right. But, you know, if you're depressed, I'll give you some medication, uh, mm -hmm. short-term, long-term, whatever. But in general, you don't need to apologize for thinking, feeling, saying, 
whatever it is you say, mm-hmm. uh, because it's all normal. It's all within the realm of normality yeah. and there's nothing wrong with it. So that was like an enormous license because then I didn't have to worry that I'm, you know, am I going crazy or uh, is, you know, is, the, is the grief overwhelming me or whatever it is I was thinking. Is there right or wrong way? There's, there's the no right, right, right. There's the way that fits you as long as you're not a danger to yourself or society. Right. Yeah. But exactly. if you want to improve on yourself and move forward, distraction, the distraction was the was the tool you right. chose. And exercise. Yeah. And therapy, exercise. right? Did you go to uh, did you go a, did you do grief counseling and stuff like that? No, or no? no you didn't I, feel like I you think, needed it? I think I went to one and I, I just didn't think that it was going to do anything for me. Did you have support so, that was giving you the grief the quote unquote grief counseling? I just interviewed a lady um, a few weeks ago, Maria Weitzel, and she wrote a book after her husband battled can- brain tumor for many years. And she wrote a book, You Can't Do It Alone. And she writes about the, the journey of, of saying goodbye for many years and losing your husband slowly because he was a brilliant writer and he couldn't speak. He couldn't, you couldn't communicate. And so just that, that the morning started, as you said, your friend said, like the, her, her grief was the diagnosis. And, right. and she writes in the mm-hmm. book how you can't do it alone. You can't walk through grief alone because it's too lonely so, and painful. So read of that. I, I don't agree with that. Um, I, my daughter once came in with a stack of books about cancer and grief and all of that. And, uh, you know, I started reading a few of them. And after a few pages, I realized this wasn't helpful for me. It might be helpful for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for me, I just felt that I had to go, th- go through it right. and uh, come out on the other end and that it would take time. Uh, one of Laura's favorite prescriptions to her patients was tincture of time. That's, I think, more than anything, the passage of time uh, does a lot of the work or is the work. And for some people, groups and, you know, uh, therapy, this, that, and the other thing, maybe perfect, great, the thing, but not everybody. You're not required to do it. You don't necessarily come out better, stronger, better equipped because of it. Again, it depends on, there's no manual. If it works for you, then it works. If it doesn't work for you, then it doesn't work. But that's not because uh, there's something wrong with you. Right. Uh, and I, I disagree with the notion that you can't do it alone. Well, I mean, of course, it's not I mean, yeah, I think she, her book was describing her, her workplace that were so supportive and people in her family members and the things she took, she had a very young son, a five-year-old or seven-year-old son. So Mm -hmm. he was in therapy. The uncles that would come and take care of, be the daddy for the, the alone doesn't have to be grief. She was trying to say, find your own, not alone. Cause if you're going to lock yourself in your house alone and think you're going to recover, you probably won't. You need to find the community that will support you and the actions. And you said distraction. So going to the gym, um, some people is going back to work. Some people is just being with a lot of family members. I think whatever works for you works for you. Now, mm-hmm. if you have a, uh, a social support system that can be helpful that you can call on, right. that's great. Right. If your work is especially supportive, if they give you extra time, if the boss says, you know, take off a month or two or whatever. I have a friend here in Boston. I've known him since we were 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, he had married somebody uh, considerably older than he was. Mm-hmm. And in his mid-40s, um, she died just literally. She wow. came home from a run one day and 
he died at home and he took off a month and then he went back to work and mm -hmm. he said that was the thing that made all the difference for him and enabled him to uh, uh, you know get on with life mm -hmm. um uh, he didn't remarry for a very long time but uh, two years ago i went to his wedding oh wow yeah yeah um so you know for him it was going back to work mm -hmm. uh, filling up his day with distraction in this mm -hmm. case productive distraction right again no manual right and no negative about what you decide to do or not to do. Mm -hmm. That's at least the way I, I have come to understand this. What was the, the, the switch in your mind? Like, so you, she passed away, you're grieving. It's painful. Every time you walk into the house, you, mm -hmm. you smell her, you hear her, you still don't believe you woke up in, in the morning and she's not there. Right. How long did it take that to sink in? Like Laura's so, not going to come drink coffee with me. I'm not yeah. going to be making her coffee. I'm not going to be cooking dinner for her and surprising her. So around the time she died, there was a wonderful singer who has continued to be on the charts. Her name is Regina Spector. She had a song and one of the lyrics in the song, it just struck me at the time. It was a, you know, she had a, an album and one of the songs and she, one of, one of her lyrics was, I can't believe I'll never see you again. Mm -hmm. Oh God. And I think that sort of summed it up at that time. Yeah. You know, like, and uh, you know, other things like I'm 61 years old and my wife died. What? Yeah. Exactly. You're, you're confronted with a whole lot of things that were never in the cards. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's, uh, um, if, if I were to sum it up, uh, you know, when you, you first get married, you're young people, you have career, family, your house, this, that, and the other thing. It's a pretty straightforward script. Most people know what it is. Right. This isn't in the script. Yeah, no one prepares you for this right. because no so, one wants to. Even no life insurance, the way we spoke about yesterday, right? No one really wants to get the life insurance because no one wants to believe that they're going to need it. Right, um, and that's certainly one of the things that people uh, must uh, do. In, in, must do, but we'll leave that aside for the moment. Yeah. But um, the fact of the matter is, you're dealing with things that you've never dealt with before. It, it's that's really the shock. It's like, what? She died? What? She's not here? having breakfast what it's it's not in the script and a script like for uh, a movie or anything like that a script is page by page mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the entire script is thrown out and, and irrelevant new one and, and irrelevant and now you have to write a new one wow. completely different and that's page by page line by line and that's re that's moving on in life that's after moving, you moving, after you walk right. through grief Right. And it's funny because it's not funny. I don't say funny. It's ironic that the episode that I released yesterday with a woman, very young woman, Malky Hirsch, she had five little children from 12 to two and her husband to work and collapsed at work and right. passed away. Mm -hmm. And she said the first thing that a woman, uh, the, the therapist or the grief counselor, or I, I'm not sure, somebody from High Lifeline came to her and said, whatever people are going to tell you, listen to me, there's no way out. You must walk through the pain and the grief. There is no way around. There's no shortcuts. When you start taking the path through it, that's when you're going to realize that you're going a little bit closer to processing it and and knowing how to deal with it, but you got to walk through it. That's well, what you said yesterday, in a way, right? It's not a volitional choice. It's on you. It's it's just like you have a uh, a medical condition, 
and it's there. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with it in some way. It's not something you can't get around it. You have it. So you have to deal with it. However, you're going to deal with it. You're right. You can't avoid it because it's there. It's right. It's there. Right. And you will indeed go through whatever it is you're going to go through. The question becomes, can you go through it or how do you go through it so that it's least difficult and everybody figures out ways to do what the best meet their needs. Right. Uh, no formula, no manual. Right. When no. did you feel safe to say, I'm willing to start dating again and, and finding the next chapter of rewriting the next chapter of life of love and giving yourself so, permission to fall in love again with after you feel like you were in love with the most amazing woman, which she was like, how do you do that? Um, well, I started going out, I think uh, it, was, it was about two years after Laura died. And um, what I didn't understand at the time is that I really wasn't ready uh, to, I don't want to use the word commit because that's not, wasn't even in the, in the, you know, in the cards at that time. Um, and I owe an apology to a number of women uh, who thought that I was ready to mm. turn over a new leaf. I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I apologize to them. There's but, no way to know until you try. You thought you were ready and then you saw that you weren't. But I, I realized yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't because not enough time had gone by. Mm-hmm. And I had made the mistake early on in the stating that I was going to replicate my lost wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the fool's errand because you can't replicate. Right. Um, she was, you know, an individual who's different than anybody else. You know, my son-in-law, not um, my daughter's uh, husband, uh, you know, at first I, I was going out with uh, basically doctors. And, you know, at, at one point he says to me, all right, you've gone out with all the, the worst and widow doctors in America. You haven't found anybody. You can move on now. <laughs> he has so, guts for saying that, by the way. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, you know, we're, we have a, a good, uh, good relationship. So that, that worked out. Were you ready uh, to accept that and say, wait, I can go no, out no, with no. <laughs> Once I understood that I couldn't replicate her, that is to say, once I understood that I didn't need to replicate her, mm. then all kinds of possibilities opened up. Yeah. And uh, it was several years later, uh, I met someone, not at all, that I imagined or expected. And we've been together now for about uh, just, just a few years now. Um, she's from the other side of the country. She is not a doctor. She, in fact, she, she was a lawyer. You know, she, uh, her, her husband, unfortunately, was also a physician who passed away from cancer. Um, but, uh, you know, and you have to meet the right person. There isn't a formula for that either. Mm. And you run into a lot of well, challenging people along the way, and you realize, no, this is not for me. And there were a couple of times when, uh, you know, I, I really thought this would be a, a good person, and for whatever reason, it turned out not to be. You know, the usual stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, you just have to do it like any. It's not vastly different than when you were first dating when when you're in your twenties and looking for someone to get married. Uh, right. You just find it. Um, Again, tincture of time um, more than anything. That's the uh, the key to it all. Time, uh, distraction. Those, those are the things that allow you to move through. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about the script of life, and yeah. I think it's so. Um, it just. I just had a moment of clarity that 
we try to fit in the script that will match the previous script that we're used to. And that's what right. you spoke about. But right. no, it, it should be a new book. It should be a it new can. book. It could it be. Can. Don't don't try to continue it that it should match the previous book that you of life because it could be a hurdle that you won't it's be able to necessary. overcome. Yeah. Right. If you're lucky and you feel you need to replicate what you had and you find somebody who meets that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, those criteria, that's great. The likelihood is not. So I don't even think be- you can replicate because having, let's say, somebody that had children with a loved one, you have an experience that you will never have by having these children with you know she's the, you, she's you the mother of your you can't you cannot replace you can't double something that the other person went through in life with you challenges in life like think about building norma tech the new the new person the new lover the new relationship will never be able to understand what it took to build norma tech right that's no absolutely um i had it in my head that she, I would find somebody very similar. Mm-hmm. In the end, she's not at all similar. Mm-hmm. Looks different, speaks differently, comes from different parts of the country, mm-hmm. different backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it was okay mm-hmm. because having gone through uh, a grief process and coming out at the other end, I was enabled to say, hey, somebody new, somebody different and new will be just fine. I don't need to have what I had. Now, there's certain, obviously, certain basic characteristics that you need to have right, in another right. person. Right. Um, but assuming those are met, yeah. you don't need to replicate things. Like core values that you believe in that oh, you yeah, match yeah, your sure. core values. So the question is, you know, when I got married, uh, I'm going to go only from my experience. So when I got married, I, I had a best friend and I kept on comparing Ari to my best friend, my relationship with my best friend or my relationship with my father. And I would say, but my father would do this. How can you not? Bye-bye. Allison would do that. Why? And he's like, I'm not them. Stop trying to put me into the standard of them. doesn't mean I'm a bad man. I'm not a bad person. But I was so used to, but wait, this is what good relationships do. Why are you not doing that? And and it took me so long. Till today, I sometimes do it. Like I, I joke with Aria and I'll say, Abba does that. And he's like, but I'm not Abba. I know a lot of people compare me to your Abba and they think that we're very similar. I'm not Abba. Right. And that's okay. So how do you do that with a relationship that is very close to like when you when you have to really move on and say, okay, Laura was Laura. Amy is Amy. I don't know if we could say the name, but it's fine. We can edit it out yeah. or not. <laughs> no, um, Amy, Amy. So how do we how do you not say in your mind when something hurts that Laura really did well? Like her, I don't I don't know Amy, so I can't compare, but something that was the core of Laura and Amy's so different. And how do you not compare? Because there's if you compare, you're just losing out. That was a uh, a turning point for me when I finally understood that I could not replicate what I had, that it had to be something, someone new, and that meant different. Mm-hmm. And once I reached that understanding, which only came as a result of going through this grief process, mm-hmm. then I understood that it could be anybody. Um, it, it And I don't at all compare one person to the other. It's not, um, it's it, not useful. Just, it's, it's, it doesn't toxic. even, it's even toxic to do it. It's toxic, but I, I just don't do it because mm-hmm. it doesn't serve any purpose. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't move the needle 
at all for mm-hmm. anyone. That's that. But what do you do with an emotion? Emotions surface. Triggers happen. Well, then, what happens then, when it comes up? Is there a discussion or is it a discussion in your mind that you that have to say to Avram? Avram, they're not the same. They're different. It, it doesn't come up. That's Ever? Because, uh, no. In your mind even? Nope. Because I turned that point, that, that corner. Mm. I, I basically came, it took a long time, took five acceptance, years. Acceptance. I accepted that, yeah. okay, she's gone, uh, she's not coming back, and if I'm going to move ahead, then it can be with anyone, and comparisons are not helpful, useful, or productive. Uh, it's a new person. But it, it took getting to that point. To go through it. Right. So you said that you have some words of wisdom to people that... There's two kinds of people, people that are already in a situation that they mm-hmm. might think that the end is coming. And then there's the people that believe that everything is going to be great and hopefully everything will be great. How do you prepare for, can you prepare for grief? Is there a way to prepare for grief? To prepare for grief? No, I don't think you can prepare for it um, because it's so individual. So your particular preparation or somebody else's particular preparation may not necessarily useful for you mm-hmm. for loss then for loss but there are things that everyone whether they're facing a loss or not uh, needs to do need to do and I think certainly one of the things probably uh, at the top of the list or very close to it is get your stuff in order your, your documents in order uh, I'll give you an example um, Laura and I built this company and there were investors associated with the company, and there were all kinds of legal um, uh, interactions and uh, requirements and regulations associated with having investors in a company, et cetera, et cetera. We just never got around to doing the paperwork that was necessary. I mean, the, you know, the investors had, had uh, signed agreements and things like that, but um, all kinds of issues suddenly came up because she was not going to be there after a while, a very short while. One of the things that she had me put down on her legal pad one day, the day after she was diagnosed, was that we needed to get a trust and estate lawyer. So I called up my friend, in fact, the one whose wife had passed away, and uh, uh, he's in a large law firm here, and I said, I need a trust attorney. Mm-hmm. And we got a wonderful woman who really knew her stuff, and she put things together. And four days before... Laura died. We were sitting at in in uh, Dana Farber, and she was in a room all juiced up with uh, chemotherapy and all this kind of stuff, whatever. And the lawyer walks in with a stack of papers. Oh my god! And a a clerk and a witness. Wow. We're in this little booth, and Laura's got needles oh in both arms. Oh my god. Oh and my she's God. with her extended hand, she's signing documents. Oh. And I will tell you that had that not happened, it would have been a horrendous situation. But because that paperwork was now completed and done, it was the basis for being able to go forward and all kinds of financial issues and right. uh, ownership issues, et cetera, et cetera. The point of all of this is that uh, even if it's a simple situation, um, you need to have your documents in order. You will, your power of attorney, durable power of attorney. Um, making decisions under duress is 
about the worst time to make the decisions. Um, I'm sitting at a table here in Boston, and Laura sat at the table here. And on the speaker phone, on, on the iPhone, the lawyer in putting together these documents was sitting there, ask, was, was calling in to ask us questions about how we want to do this and that. And Laura is in a, like a half chemo fog, right? How do you make decisions like that? Right. All right, so the point of it all is get your papers in order, have them done now. So don't wait for the crisis. Don't, don't wait for the crisis. As and you say that, in Hebrew, uh, Yishuv Adat. How do you say that right. in English? Um, Clarity of mind? Yeah. Peace of mind? Peace of mind, clarity of mind and also it allows you to decide what you want done how you want your situation to work out closes off certain options and makes you know things available etc etc um i should tell you that uh six months after she died i went to her oncologist i made a point to go to the oncologist and say that to tell him that i thought that he needed to tell every single patient whether they had 10 years or 10 weeks Mm-hmm. that uh, he's not God, I have no idea how long you're going to live, but it's appropriate to get your paperwork in order now. Before chemo before, starts. Before, before chemo you, starts. Before you're in a fog and you're throwing up and you can't even lift your right. head and whatever. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. And he wrote me eh, a year or two later, and he, he sent me an email and said, you know, he thought about it for a long time because he really hadn't done that and didn't want to say, oh, do you will now, i.e., right, I'm right. telling you you're dying. Well, no, no, no. And he said uh, he started using it on that, on on newer patients, and he right. said it made a big difference. So wow. get your papers in order, uh, so that you can make your decisions, whatever they are, mm-hmm. uh, at least in a broad sense. Mm-hmm. That was really, uh, The other thing is, by the way, for younger, certainly for younger people, is have a lot of life insurance because, um, as I, I said to you last night, um, uh, uh, an insurance broker said to me. Uh, you can be the greatest father in the world, you can be the best husband in the world, but if you die and you don't leave them enough money, they're not going to remember your greatness. They're going to remember that you didn't leave them a whole lot of money and because they're going to be struggling. So uh, that's uh, something to think about. Yeah, get your papers in order. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Get your stuff in order. Yeah. Finances, um, life insurance, paper all of those things. That's a reality. And if you right. don't deal with it, you do that at your peril or even worse, the peril of your family that you leave behind. Mm-hmm. Right. That there's, there's nothing worse. Well, there are probably some things, but there, there's little worse than leaving behind a family without enough resources to carry on. Is there un- any other piece of advice that you wish you knew that helped you through the process of grief that you can gift the audience something that helped you through the process that you had that no one told you and it didn't dawn on you and you're like wow this was really a tool that i i wish people will know this um i i don't think there's anything else except for emphasizing the distraction piece uh one of the things that i did to distract myself was uh i left boston and i moved to jerusalem and i enrolled in a a public health program at Hebrew University with people. Most of the people in the class were physicians from sub-Saharan Africa. And it was a completely different uh, group than I had ever encountered in my life, mm-hmm. and many of whom I'm still quite close friends with at this point. But we sat in class from 8 in the morning until 6 at night, five days a week for a year. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. It was distraction of a kind that I never imagined. But right. um, it was distraction. So I would 
urge people to seriously consider uh, actively working on identifying things that will distract, even if it's just going to the museum or taking a drive down. I live in Boston, taking a drive down to New York and going to the Metropolitan and seeing, you know, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, because otherwise you're, you're, you're stuck. Right. Otherwise you're stuck. Yeah. And, um, I, I've spoken to a lot of people now at this point who have gone through it. And the distraction piece is, uh, really critical if you if you're going to get through it i should uh, by the way i should sort of end a little bit you know well, one of the questions you asked was was sort of hope and, and all of that i'm going to i'm going to ask you that soon but i still have a, a few yeah you go on but yeah, i still yeah. have a few more questions yeah okay. go on about a year ago i was visiting my son's house he lives here in boston and my daughter-in-law who never met Laura, mm-hmm. um my daughter-in-law is a phd psychologist who works at Mass General Hospital, and she runs very large studies on how to help women with breast cancer mm-hmm. uh, battle anxiety, depression, and suicide. Can't battle suicide, but you mm-hmm. can, you know, because you thoughts, you know, the thoughts of suicide, yeah. right? And she has multi-center trials going on around the country. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a big one. Anyway, I was in her house one day. Uh, earlier in the day, and she said to me, oh, by the way, I'm giving a lecture today at Dana-Farber mm-hmm. about the work that we're doing at Mass General. Would you like to come? Mass uh, uh, Dana-Farber was where Laura was treating. Right. And for five, six years afterwards, more, um, until my daughter-in-law um, uh, invited me, I hadn't gone back to the building. In fact, for several years, I couldn't even bring myself to drive past the building. Right. Right. And so it's right. sort of like on a major street. I would just take a long detour around it. Right. And I hesitated for a second, accepting her invitation. And I said, fine, okay. It was at one o'clock, whatever it was. And I parked where wow. I had parked so many times. And I, I go chills. into the building. I have chills. Oh, my God. And I take the elevator up oh my to the third God. floor. And the third floor is divided into two. On one side is the cafeteria. Mm. And I had lots and lots of coffee in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, cafeteria and the other side there were a bunch of conference rooms so I went down to one of the conference rooms and I walk in and my daughter-in-law is lecturing it was an extraordinary moment for me wow. because here it is my daughter-in-law wow. lecturing about cancer cancer right Ugh. in Dana-Farber and on her finger oh my god is, is your wife's ring my wife's ring I had given it to her oh <laughs> my god Oh my God. And did you look up one of the questions that I wanted to ask you? Did you have anger to God? Did you ever have anger to God with cancer? And like, what, what was that emotion at that moment when you were that, that like, wait, what is going on? This is too surreal to be true. Yeah. I would just see your hand, you know, moving around in the air and uh, oh. diamond in, in the ring. <laughs> right. Wow. But that was sort of a closure, you know, I mean, after after all the coffee, mm-hmm. while Ke- Laura was getting chemotherapy, I'm now watching my daughter-in-law. Wow. You know, it's, it's really gone. Uh, in terms of God, the only thing that went through my head at any point about that was, about God, was what on earth did she or he have in mind when the decision was made that a woman who was so contributory mm. and so helpful and so healing, that at age 55, it was time for her to go. Mm. Didn't understand that. Did Still you ever don't. lose? Did you ever lose faith in God because oh, of it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
after she passed away? Uh, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. you know, you always hope. Uh, and the old story is, well, you can ask God all kinds of things. And mm-hmm. if he says no, that's also a decision. That's also an answer. That's no also is also. An right. 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 Yeah. But what on earth was going through God's mind when it, he took at age 55? So young. A woman who was so contributory and helping out other human beings. And know? wonderful, as Laura always right. used to say. Right. Wonderful. Right. So uh, I haven't gotten the answer to that. If you know it or any of your listeners know it, sorry. You'll, uh, send That's me an not, email. <laughs> I'm not going to be the one um, explaining that because. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So, but, but it's, I, I, I think it's okay to have a, I mean, it's a given to have this relationship with God, the in and out, the confusion, the, the, the frustration, the misunderstanding, the anger, the like, if you exist, how can it be? And if you maybe in a way it's comforting to think that he, that God doesn't exist because if God does exist like this, how could it be that I saw such torture, what Laura went through? No, yeah. look, uh, uh, greater minds than ours have wrestled with these questions for millennia. Right. Um, there are no answers. Right. And uh, you take your faith or lack thereof based on your uh, experience and situation and upbringing and learning and tradition, et cetera, right. et cetera. It's not a generalized answer. It's a generalized question, but it's not a generalized answer mm-hmm. because each person has to deal with it. Uh, uh, it's the same question over and over, but each person has to deal with it. Uncle Abram, before I get to my last final question that I sure. ask anyone, is there any other question from the questions that I send you that you feel that will help my audience? Because I didn't have the questions in front of me. No, uh, I, I think, um, uh, you know, when I, when I saw the questions, I sort of wrote down the things that I felt more important uh, important or useful, perhaps, Mm -hmm. in uh, communicating to people who are going through. I I, I think one um, realization that was very, very useful Mm -hmm. was I was reading, this is relatively early on after I thought I read that um, a million times a year, somebody loses a spouse in the United States. A million? A million times a year, yeah. A spouse, not a person, a a spouse. A a spouse. spouse. Wow, a loved one. So... Um, I understood from that I'm not alone. This is not a solitary experience. This is something that happens, you know, every single day of the week, and people are dealing with it in however they're in whatever way they're dealing with it. Uh, but it was sort of comforting because I understood that I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only one going through this. A million people a year are going through this. So I didn't find my. I, I was able to say I'm not exceptional in that sense. This is not visited on me and that's it. No, it's visited on a lot of people. And, uh, you know, you're part of a large community. You know, you have membership, not that you wanted membership, but uh, you have membership in a much larger community. And uh, you can enter into that community. You can take from it. You can avail yourself of it in a variety of ways or not. Um, uh, one of those, for example, is uh, you know, grief counseling, groups uh, of one sort or another, if that works for you. But Again, it's, it's, it's not an unusual thing. It happens all the time. Why is that comforting? Because Why is it comforting to know that something that's so awful happens all the time? Uh, no, I'm not saying it's, it's comforting that somebody, you know, that awful gets you. Happen. That is, that it's no. not the unknown that it's, other it's, people went through it and they survived and, right, and exactly. life continues after. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I would read like in the, in the wedding section of the New York Times, uh, the bride was a widow or mm. her husband, you know, the, the, the groom was a widower or they were mm-hmm. both. You know, married right. previously and, and spouses died or something. The idea being that it happens a lot, 
Mm-hmm. People get through it. Most people do in one way or another and eventually can move on. And that was also a piece of insight that was very helpful early on. You know, um, it's not just me. It's a lot of people going through this. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's hope as a result because people go through it and they, they survive and move on. And um, the proof for me is uh, I have this lovely woman in my life now. It's really great. Can be can be done. Yeah. So what does hope mean to you? Well, hope simply means that there is an end point to the grief that, however, you're not really sure or when, but somehow, somewhere, sometime, it will dissipate. It's day by day until you get there. It's up and down. It's not linear. Very often it simply rolls back on what you thought you had finished. And, oh my God, I thought I had gone through that already. I'm done with that. No, no, no. It comes right back. But eventually, eventually, and it could be a few months for some people, and it could be a few years or maybe never for some people. Mm-hmm. But the point is, the hope is that you can get through this uh, using a variety of methods, whatever those, what works for you uh, or whatever you pick up from other people's experiences. And you can move on. Absolutely. That So you're saying that even though now could feel unbearable, hope is that one day you will get to the bearable and maybe even to happiness and joy, the pain. Will oh, end. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not that the sadness will ever go away. It just won't be as upfront. And frequent. Uh, and frequent. It might yeah. be, you know, once a year, once a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the rest of the time, you're okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, people need to understand that that will happen. Mm-hmm. It's not forever. And it's not a, I mean, death is forever, but life can move on. And uh, it will if you give it a chance. Thank you, Uncle Avram, for sharing with me your journey of saying goodbye to the wonderful Aunt Laura that we speak about all the time, all the time. We talk about her laughter, what she meant to us, to me and Ari specifically. And I'm grateful that my kids, my older kids got to meet her and to spend time with her and to enjoy her and to have her wisdom and her playfulness and just remember how awesome she was, really how awesome she was. And, And I'm grateful that I had a chance to know her to learn from her and to enjoy her time. I'm really grateful that I that I chose the Jacobs family. <laughs> and I, I cho- <laughs> well, chose sure the wisest decision, <laughs> but we'll talk about that another But I chose to be close to the good Jacobses. <laughs> okay. We'll put it that way. The good ones in the Jacobs family. And there's a lot of good in the Jacobs family. Some a lot of mental illness as well, but a lot of good as well. So we'll we'll take it. And I'm grateful that Laura chose to marry the Jacobs family that I get to to experience Laura's mind, Laura's love, Laura's kindness. And it was really such an honor to know her and to spend time with her. And thank you for for sharing your experience and helping others understand that there's no one way there is no one way and you just have to walk through it thank you thank you take care guys thank you for listening if you know anyone that is experiencing grief or struggling with finding a way through grief this will be a great episode to share with them bye till next time grief is universally one of the more powerful intense emotions Some people, whether due to trauma or conditions like borderline personality disorder, experience all of their emotions on the more intense end of the spectrum, which can be challenging without some support and guidance. 
For those who frequently experience emotional dysregulation or emotional sensitivity, there is an online dialectical behavior therapy skills solution. Dialectical behavior therapy skills or DBT skills are essentially emotional coping skills. Check out EmotionallySensitive.com for more information. They have weekly online psychoeducational DBT skills groups attended by students around the globe and co-facilitated by a licensed DBT trained therapist and a DBT trained certified life coach who is in recovery from borderline personality disorder herself. Please visit EmotionallySensitive.com to learn more and ask any questions you may have about their next program, which starts on July 27th. Enrollment closes at noon Pacific on Sunday, July 26th. Again, visit us at EmotionallySensitive.com and we hope to have you in class with us very soon. Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.